one of my messages to parents is the idea of being having a love-based mindset or being uh, love-centered and from that perspective you know you love the child unconditionally so no matter what they do they need to still feel that they are you know they have that safe place and but then it also gives them the space to go out and try and if they fail they still know they're okay right they still have that sense that i'm i'm not a bad person and actually one of the principles when you're love-based is the idea that all people are fundamentally good right and so and it's interesting that means other people are good but that also means i i'm good as well because so many things are taken you know Because so many things are taken, mm-hmm. you know. Because so many things are taken, mm-hmm. you know. Welcome to the What I Meant to Say show. I'm your host, Wendy Jones, and I'm here today with Jim White. He is the founder of the Family Enrichment Academy, and um, he's here today to talk about some of my favorite topics parenting and raising resilient, strong teenagers. And I'm so excited to connect with you on these topics. So thanks for being here. Absolutely. I'm excited as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So tell me um, about the Family Enrichment Academy. And kind of how I, how I got here is yeah. probably part of the question. So, um, and actually the way I like to describe it is I have spent the last 40 years, it's hard to believe it's been that long, um, studying the topics of parenting, um, marriage, personal development, all of those topics. But more importantly, I've also spent those 40 years living my life as a husband and a father to six children. And um, I like to use the analogy of a hero's two journeys. I don't know, are you familiar with that idea of the storytelling? Yeah. So the, yeah. the premise is for the people in the audience that aren't familiar that if you, you know any good book or a movie, the main character is typically on two different journeys. The first journey is known as the journey of accomplishment. You know, they have some goal or some task that they're trying to accomplish. And that's entertaining, but what makes the story compelling is the second journey. And the second journey is known as the journey of fulfillment. And so what's happening is that hero, as they're pursuing that outside goal, they're also going through this internal transformation. You know, they're becoming a better person. They're discovering new, you know, principles, values, and beliefs that just make their life work better, right? Well, for me, As you can imagine, raising six children, there was a lot of tasks to accomplish, you know, that outside journey, there was places to go, you know, meals to cook, homework to help with, you know, there was a lot to do. And, um, you know, as we went along, we had our share of obstacles as well. But the amazing thing was, is as I was going along, you know, doing all of the stuff that a father of six does, Uh, through my interest in, again, parenting, personal development, marriage, I was also experiencing this internal transformation, you know, discovering principles, values, and beliefs that just made our family work better. And where I sit now is um, our children are kind of grown and gone. Our youngest is off in college. And over the last several years, I've just felt this calling, if you will, to share some of the wisdom that I've gained over the 40 years um, with other parents. And so, 
it was that calling that's that led to the formation of the Family Enrichment Academy. Um, I've I've published a book. I've kind of, I've focused primarily on parents with teenagers, and so I've I've published a book in that area. I do one-on-one coaching. I do workshops. You know, all just trying to find different ways to share some of that wisdom that's been gained over the years. And it, like I say, it's more of a calling than any. And that's the best way to describe it. So. That, you know, that's how I got here. It was a 40-year journey, but we're here, and this is sort of like the, the next stage of my life. I love that because generational learning is something that I've always, I didn't even realize how tapped into that I have always been and just wanting to listen to, like I was the kid that wanted to sit at the front of the bus, bus and talk to the coach or like, you know, hearing from people that are older than me and hearing their stories. And I think that that's, if it's something that we focus on more, I think, I mean, there's just so much wisdom to gain. So I love that you've used, you're using your personal life experience to expand that wisdom. And so often I think it's not about telling people how to do things, but sharing your, your story and letting them find common ground with it. Um, is that your experience or yeah and actually you you point to and one of the things i encourage parents to do is to model the good behavior you know it's about you know how do you model um what you want your teenager to do and so that's an important part of the way we learn as well as by watching others and your kids are always watching you know whether you're you know, believe it or not they are always watching they're always listening you know they listen to how you treat the waitress when you go out to eat and if you treat them with kindness, then they're going to start to pick up on the idea of kindness. That's where they learn what it means to be kind. If you're rude to the waitress, they pick up on that as well. So, you know, as a parent and, and actually part of the way I work when I work with parents, I encourage them to think about parenting as an opportunity for their own personal growth. You know, this is a chance for you to grow and develop as well. And it's it's part of your journey in becoming a better person. And as you do that, then you're setting that example for your teenager, for your kids as well. And so there's it's like there's two opportunities there, one for the parent and one for the child. Oh, for sure. I, that learning absolutely works both ways. That's definitely been my experience with my four. And I don't think there's anything that motivates me more than, you know, to get up in the morning and, and be a little bit better. It's, it's, yes, it's good for me, but I always think about the impact that it'll have on them and then the generations that come after them. And I, it's, it's the most empowering thought that I have. Yeah, absolutely. It's that growth mindset. Sounds like you're pretty grounded in a growth mindset. And I, yeah, I encourage no parents, you know, that's critical to getting through the teenage years because every day you're faced with a new circumstance, a new situation that maybe you had not dealt with before. And and even if you, you know, if you have multiple kids, you know, that the, the way the first one handled getting their driver's license, for example, it could be different with the next one. And it may be different with the third one as well. So, you know, there's always that new um, circumstance or the new situation because the dynamics are different. And so there's an opportunity to continue to low, uh, grow and learn. And that's, again, the growth mindset's just critical. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I want to go a little bit more into your background, just as far as like, what do you think it was about yourself that made you so passionate about having these principles for your family and then, you know, letting them grow out to, to, to other people? You know, it's when I think back, I've all, as I mentioned, I've always had this interest in personal development. So it starts there for me. Um, and I've just always been intrigued by it. I, you know, 
you may be the same way. I've read tons of books. And if there was some, you know, somebody coming to town and they were having a workshop, I was the guy that would go to it, you know, just around personal development. And, and then what happens is you start to uh, see opportunities to coach. And I actually, I've been through um, you know, all the programs for like coaching as well. Technically, I'm a certified life coach. So I've, I was intrigued by that just by a process. You know, how do you engage and support and help other people to grow and develop as well? And so just the whole process of coaching became very interesting to me. And as a parent, you know, that's what we're doing a lot of, you know, especially as they move into those teen years. And actually, one of my messages to parents with teens is, is to make the transition. When they're young, parents tend to control everything that happens. You think about you got a three-year-old. You decide you know, what clothes they wear, what, when they eat, what they eat, when they go to bed. I mean, you're in charge, right? Yeah. As they move into those teenage years, there needs to be this natural transition to where you turn some of that control over to the child and let them start to manage their life a little bit more. And a lot of times what parents struggle with is they say, well, you know, what do I do then? If I turn over control, what's my role going to be? And that's where the idea of empowerment or the idea of being a coach starts to, to play into it. And so, you know, that parent's starting to look at themselves more in a coaching role as opposed to the manager and the one in control. And um, I went through that as well. So, you know, it all started for me in that personal development arena. And it's just something I've always been intrigued with for myself. But then also, how do I help my kids, you know, grow and develop and be the best versions of themselves as well? Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. Um, something that's coming to mind as you say all that is, is that idea that as parents, when we do start to let go of control, um, I think some of the things that we are confronted by, you know, perfectionism is definitely one of those things, at least it has been for me, right? I, I, looking at like, well, what if they do make that mistake or, you know, how big of a mistake can they, can we afford for them to make? Or, you know, that feeling like it needs to look a certain way. Like how, how do you help people manage those expectations and deal with that kind of thing? Yeah, it's, it's a great question because that does come up for parents. A lot of times they feel like the child is a reflection on them and their, you know, kind of their effectiveness, if you will, as a parent. And, you know, I just encourage parents to think in terms of the journey. Again, it's it's this premise that we're all growing and learning and developing. And as part of that, you're going to have uh, circumstances and times where things don't go the way you'd like for them to go. And the question is, what do you learn from that? Or how can you take that experience and grow and learn and develop from it as a parent? But then also, how can your child grow and learn and develop? And, and one of the things that happens is a lot of times parents will almost, they'll, they'll jump in and want to rescue the child if they have an issue. And I always encourage them to, to resist that urge to rescue because that you know, going through that struggle is part of how that teenager grows and learns and they develop resiliency. Um, you know, and that's something that we want them to have when they become an adult and they go off into the world. You know, the idea of them being able to be resilient. And the other one, I, the other word I like is resourcefulness. You know, the child has to learn to be resourceful. Can they solve their own problems? Um, and then do they have the, the staying power, if you will, to get through a difficult time? And what's so powerful about that is if they do that some, it just does wonders for them and their, their self-confidence. And they, they believe, oh, I can get through this. I can make it through. Whereas if the parent always rescues them, the, the underlying message to the child is you can't do it. 
right? Or you aren't capable. I don't believe you can do it. And so letting them go through that, you're sending the message that, oh, I believe you can handle this. You're, you know, you'll be okay. And you're also letting them develop that ability to solve problems and be resilient. So it's, you know, sometimes the the biggest lessons are when things get messy, right? Um, And that's where, you know, so you just got to be able to let go of that and just look for opportunities to grow. And it's uh, the other, you may have heard this idea that, you know, think in terms of life happening for you, not happening to you. You know, everything that happens is an op, it's happening for you. It's the next thing you need to to have to low and, you know, grow and learn. Um, I got a great example just from our journey as parents as well. So um, I have two teenage or two sons, the younger of the two sons, I think he's like 17 years old, He's got his driver's license. He pulls, he ends up at a stoplight and one of his buddies is beside him. So you can see where this is going, right? There's two of them sitting at a stoplight side by side, two different cars. They decide they're going to kind of drag race away from the stoplight. Well, unbeknownst to them, there was an undercover cop right behind them in a car. So he ends up with a reckless driving, you know, um, speeding, you know, all this stuff that it was a mess that he got himself into. Um, but it's also, it was one of his greatest uh, opportunities to say, okay, I can solve this problem. And he ended up, you know, he had to pay for, he ended up in court paying for an attorney and, you know, just all kinds of stuff that happened as a result of that bad decision. But it also helped him to feel comfortable and confident that he can solve problems at the same time, you know, by letting him go through that. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so hard as a parent, not to say like, I'm going to step in and come to court and pay your fines and oh like it's it's a different experience as we watch them struggle and it's one of the hardest things as a parent to do and yet I would agree with you now having you know 22 and 21 and starting to you know they say little kids little problems big kids big problems and yet you kind of shift that because what I've realized is the hardest things I've gone through with my kids one I'm I'm so humbled that they will call when there's a problem Two, that's when I've seen them become a better version of themselves and understand how how amazing they are not because there was the problem but because they were able to come through it right and And to solve it it's and yet you it doesn't solve overnight so you have to sit there you lay there with that you know how do you find the peace in those moments to to know I love one of my friends says, if it's not okay, you're not like, you're not there yet. If it's, if it's not okay, we haven't gotten there yet. Right. I mean, that concept that like you're coming through it and it takes some time right. and not everything gets solved in one moment. So right. you have to sit with the uncomfortable and that's not yep. easy. Yep. And as a parent, you have to let them go through it too. And that, that can be a struggle. And that's where, you know, and, and one of my messages to parents is the idea of being having a love-based mindset or being uh, love-centered. And from that perspective, you know, you love the child unconditionally. So no matter what they do, they need to still feel that they are, you know, they have that safe place. And but then it also gives them the space to go out and try. And if they fail, they still know they're okay, right? They still have that sense that I'm I'm not a bad person. And actually one of the principles when you're love-based is the idea that all people are fundamentally good, right? Yeah. And so 
and it's interesting, that means other people are good, but that also means I, I'm good as well. You know, that's, again, the underlying message that's there. And so the child needs to know that if, if they have a behavior or an action that's, that doesn't work out, that doesn't make them bad as a person. They still are fundamentally good. It's just they've got something they need to work on, or maybe they should have made a better choice and yeah. with a better, different perspective the next time. And so it's just all, and again, I encourage parents to share the idea of a journey to their kids as well. Their, their children are going through that also. And it's, it's just part of life, you know, to have these things pop up and the union, it, they continue to, I mean, as a, you know, here I am, you know, 61 years into my life and we continue to have stuff that pops up, right? Maybe yeah. it's the, the death of a parent, you know, things like that. I mean, obstacles that you then need to go through. Um, so it's just, it's an ongoing process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm a huge fan and big believer of, you know, the dinner table and I know having, if you've raised six kids and I've raised four, there was, there were times that, you know, everybody's going in 20,000 different directions and you can't always sit down. But when you look back, did your family, were you having these kind of self-aware conversations at the dinner table? We were, we were pretty consistent that we had dinner together at least a couple, three nights a week. And um, one of our things that we would do is we would go around and it was like everybody would share something good from their day. And, yeah. you know, just that idea of trying to focus on what's working or what's good. And, and the other thing is you can and you've probably experienced it, too, when you have we have six children is giving everybody a voice. Right. And sometimes different personalities you know, some of the, especially the younger kids, maybe almost feel like they don't get a chance to say something and to have the whole family turn and focus attention on, you know, the fifth child or the sixth child and let them be able to share something about their day. It's just powerful from a connection standpoint. It builds that, that family unit and that family connection. And again, that, that sense of home is just so critical as they go out into the world. Because um, I, I like to use the idea of it's like a North Star you know, it gives them a point of reference for, you know, what um, loving relationships look like, right? And yeah. if I, if that, if they understand that from home, when they go out and they're a sophomore in high school, and maybe they have their first sort of romantic relationship, right? It's a boyfriend or a girlfriend for the first time. And if that relationship starts to evolve in a way that's not loving, the child will recognize it because they have a point of reference. They can compare that to what it's like at home, right? And what they feel at home. And so then they can say, oh, this doesn't feel right to me. They, they have that, you know, as, as a tool in their tool belt, if you will. And, and the dinner table is a great place to accomplish that, right? You build that connection and they have a chance to, um, and, and, you know, things come up. And, and I know one of the things you talked about is values. You know, it's a chance to share values um, in everyday conversations when things come up. Um, and that's, it's, it's a powerful way to share that with them is in those, those dinnertime conversations. Yeah. I, it's, it's one of my favorite things. So it's, it's cool to hear. I, I know, I know that it's something that I wish, um, were, we were able to do more of because it, it really does make an impact. And that yeah. safe space that you're talking about is it's so huge. Um, on your Family Enrichments uh, uh, Academy website, I think it's your mission statement, but empowering your teenager to be their absolute best. Um, 
What does that mean to you? Can you unpack that a little bit for me? Yeah, and there's there's a lot to that, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, one of the, you know, if you think about it, ultimately as parents, and you probably would agree with this, um, you want your your child to be able to grow into an adult and experience peace, joy, and purpose. Those are the three that I focus on. You know, some people do, I just want my children to be happy, right? I mean, that's ultimately what you want. And we may talk about them getting a good job or, you know, meeting the right person and all of that, but really all of that's all pointing towards, we want them to experience some joy and purpose in their life. And so ultimately, you know, the idea of empowering them to be their absolute best is to put them in a position to where they have that experience, right? And for me, a big part of that and what I encourage parents to think about is there is the perspective again, is that idea of trying to impart those love-based principles, a love-based mindset that allows, it gives perspective that then your child uses to engage with the world, right? It's, you know, how do they engage with other people, whether it's in the workplace when they get out or it's at school, you know, they're off in college, you know, how do they engage? And that has a big impact on their effectiveness and the quality of their life, right? The quality of their relationships, for example. You know, we like I mentioned kindness before, if, if kindness is a value that you've built into your family and your child has that and they get it, when they go off to college or go off into the world, they're going to engage with kindness. And when they do that, that's going to bring them back a certain amount of peace and purpose, you know, so it's it where it runs full circle. So, you know, in my mind, empowering them to be their absolute best is just, it's giving them that perspective. And, and we talked about growth, the, the two things, growth is one, but the other one is service. You know, how do I engage and serve other people? That's where purpose comes from. You feel purposeful when you serve other people. We talked about my calling to do this work that I'm doing. It, it's very purposeful work for me because I feel like I'm able to serve other people. And to encourage your kids to think about how can I serve or make a difference in this particular setting, not just do what I'm supposed to do. It's again, it's that kind of that second journey is how do I serve or how do I make a difference and to have those conversations with them and have them have that be part of their perspective and what they try to do. Um, to me, that's all part of them being their absolute best and experiencing life. That's again, full of purpose and joy. So, and, but there, there's a lot, a lot to go on there. Well, there. There's a lot to go on there. And I think one of the things that, that's coming to me is just that concept of being your absolute best doesn't exist in a vacuum. Like you cannot, you can grow and change and go through all of these things. But if you think you're doing it just for your own, your own, your own journey, it's not right. until you realize that when you turn outward and, and you're of service to somebody else, that something really lights up in you. Right, absolutely. And I think when kids see that modeled, they're going to do that faster because it's not always the inclination. We don't know to go do that maybe until we get a lot older. But if kids are seeing that at a younger age, maybe they learn that. Right. And have that sense of purpose younger. Right. So. And, you know, and it's interesting. And you, as a parent, you can start to introduce those ideas you know, early on, you know, junior high and high school. We, you talked about dinner table. Um, you know, we would be sitting there at the start of a new school year. And the question would be, are there any new kids in, in school this year? You know, how can you reach out, make it better for them, have some compassion, you know, be a friend. You know, we would have those kind because you're, you're just sort of setting them and having them take that mindset of how can I make a difference with this person? 
I and, love that. Yeah. And it's in it, it comes though from the parents' perspective, right? It's it's how do we live our life? And that's why I say it's a, it's a lot about the parent in their personal development. And if you can start to incorporate, you know, if a, if a parent's not experienced a lot of peace and purpose in their life, it's going to be hurt, very hard for them to get their teen to be able to. So we have to start with the parent and maybe have, you know, have them do some, some personal growth work um, to get to where, and it's, which is awesome. I mean, we all want that, right? And if you're not experiencing it, let's, let's help you as well along yeah. the way. My quote, and it's it's up on my website, but it's I, I truly believe like that the greatest gift we can give to the nef- next generation is our own self-awareness. Right. When we understand ourselves and where we're coming from, we parent, we coach, we lead from such a better place. Right. And it's not, you know, we understand our ego a little better. We understand what wh- where the motivation's coming from, and I think it's it's just huge. I mean, it's it's paramount in you know raising good grounded kids and I think it's so my next question that I was leading to is that you were parents you've been parenting over the last 30 years and kids today are facing a different world than than what you parented in what are some of the things that you're realizing and maybe you know how you've changed your coaching versus your parenting with the world that they're dealing with today. Yeah, it absolutely is. There's, there's differences and that, you know, and that's going to continue to happen, right? It's, yeah, it's going to continue to go forward. And, you know, and right now, you know, like social media is always a big topic. And interestingly, there's a lot of talk about like anxiety mm-hmm. is, is ramped up. And then some of that may be related to the COVID experience that, yeah. you know, some of the kids have gone through and being disconnected. Um, so those are, are conversations that are much more prevalent today than they were, say, 20 years ago when my oldest child was a, was a teenager. Um, but interestingly, there still are some fundamentals that I feel like that are critical. Um, for, for one is one of the biggest um, sort of struggles that a teenager and really all of us have. Um, I put it, there's two, the two big ones are that they feel like they don't belong you know, there's a feeling of disconnect or being isolated or alone, you know, sort of out on their own. And then the other one is that they're not good enough, right? I I don't, I've got to get the right grades or be the best athlete or get the lead in the play, you know, whatever it is, there's always that push to be better. And and those two are connected because if I'm good, then maybe I'll be accepted kind of a thing. Um, and, and so one of the fundamentals that in, in the book that I put together that I had was the idea of building connection. And if you think about it, that the whole premise of feeling isolated, the offset to that is by being connected. And you know, the parents can do a lot of work to build connection with their teenager. And interesting, when they become teens, you have to be more intentional about it um, because you know, when they're little, it, it happens a little bit more naturally, but as they become teenagers, they tend to want to drift away a little bit, or they want to be a little bit more independent, but at the same time, they want to be connected. And so the parent has to be more intentional about building that connection. And that can go a long way towards helping them to overcome that sense that they're alone or isolated. Um, social media creates this, you know, that sense that they're not good enough a lot of times because there's a lot of um, comparison. There's upward comparison. You know, everybody's life is better than mine. You know, I didn't get invited to the party that I, that everybody else, you know, and they see pictures. And so there's a lot of that's anxiety comes from that as well. 
um, you know, because they see all this stuff happening. But one thing is we don't know how much of it's real, right? Because it's, it's easy to paint the picture better than it really is. Um, yeah. But again, a lot of the way to offset that is connection. If they have that strong sense of home and, and the teen really gets that they're loved unconditionally at home, that is, is that grounding point. So that's a fundamental that I think is always there is, is building that connection. And, um, you know, then the idea of empowerment, the interesting piece on that is, you know, and it, well, actually there's two pieces. One of my strategies for building connection, I, I love encouraging parents to be curious, you know, ask a lot of questions, you know, what's it like to be a teenager today? Um, and that helps build connection, but that's also part of the coaching and empowerment process is I don't have to have the answer, right? It's more of, you know, you're there every day. What do you think you should do next? You know, given the circumstance and the situation, and they have an understanding of the technology that they're dealing with. And, you know, so you, you, you're more in a supportive role and yeah. so that allows you to, to deal with the changes and maybe things that the parent's not as familiar with. Right. Um, yeah. So be curious, ask those questions, and then ask your teen to, um, you know, engage them and get their opinion and their thoughts as well. Um, so I think you, those fundamentals carry you into new times where, um, you know, the parents' experience is not the same as their kids. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that actually leads me to, to think about what do you believe about how a parent shares their experience? Like, is there a healthy way for parents to share their experience with their child? It's yeah, it's interesting. That's a great question. And one of the things I, I encourage parents to understand is a lot of times we say to the teen, oh, I understand what you're going through. And I always tell them, well, you really don't, right? Because everybody's life experience is different. And you were a teenager, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. And so it's just different. And so while it's similar, for example, we talked about like a boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, you maybe went through a breakup back in high school, but them going through a breakup today, while it sounds the same, it's completely different because today it's on Instagram within seconds and, you know, the whole world, you know, it's, it's just a different environment. So, you know, we have to, as parents, be aware of that and again, have compassion. You know, that's another really important characteristic is to be able to listen to your teen with compassion and, and to be really present with them and, and, and allow them to share what their experience without you passing judgment on it. Right. And that's another thing I think parents will do is they'll pass. Oh, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Well, don't dismiss the feeling. Let you know, they, it, they feel that way. Just go in and try to understand it again, be curious and try to uncover and, then you can work to, I like to, to talk to parents about the idea of, you know, if the teen's upset, your first role is to be a safe place for all that negative energy to dissipate. You know, they need to be able to let that go a little bit. And so that means you may have to just listen compassionately to them and let it dissipate. Once they've regained their composure, you know, they're kind of regrounded, then you can start having conversations. Well, how else can we look at this? Or what could you do different next time? You know, you start having more of a coaching empowerment conversation about what do we do going forward? But a lot of times parents want to jump in and fix it before the teen has a chance to fully release all that negative energy as well. Yeah. And that needs to go somewhere. It's got to go somewhere. <laughs> 
big believer in, you know, things get stuck in our body. And I, I, one of the things I say to my own kids is, you know, better out than in. So, you know, if you can have the courage to share it in a safe space, it's so much better than holding on to it because it just, in darkness, it just grows. And when you have someone you can share it with, it, it really changes the game. Absolutely. And there's, there's actually a physical energy to it as well. Right. And that's where, you know, maybe you go for a walk or, you know, go take a cold, you know, do something to change your physical state as well, which helps to release all that negative energy. Um, and I, I like to encourage parents to realize that the teen is not ready to move forward and to grow and learn until they've gotten past that. Right. Right. Because, and the thing and I always tell them, think about yourself. If you're totally angry and frustrated, do you want somebody telling you what to do? And the answer is no, we don't, right? We're, we're busy being frustrated at that point. And so we're the same way. So we just have to have that sort of awareness that the teen is going through those same things. Yep, I for sure. And I, I'm a big believer too, like we keep talking about modeling, but one of the things I tell, another thing I, I, I try to impart to my kids is, you know, what we focus on grows. And right. so- had an example the other day when my youngest has his permit and he gets to a corner and it's kind of like a three-way corner that looks, it's, you know, a little confusing. And I go, I, I hate this corner. And I said, and then I looked up the hill and I said, I saw all these flowers that were coming up and I said, you're doing fine. I said, and, but the flowers are beautiful. And I look and I said, <laughs> see what that is, Matthew? I go see that like the negative thought versus what I just saw something beautiful. beautiful That's where right. I'm and I'm, I've trained myself to look for the good. I said, you have to train yourself right. to look good because what we focus on grows. And I'm such a big believer in it's the consistency of our own thoughts that we can, right. that we share with our kids. Um, so I don't know if that's something that a principle that means something to you, but that is definitely something I, I live by. Absolutely. It's, it's, and I, I like to use the word perspective. It's almost like we filter out you know, we have all this data that comes into us, you know, the world out there. And so we have to screen and filter some and our perspective provides a lens and we see what we look for, right? A lot of times, you know, the, you talk about focus, it grows. The other thing is you tend to see what you look for as well, right? And if you're looking for the bad in the situation, guess what? That's what you're going to see. And it's very, very true. And so part of the, the, the gift to your child is to teach them how to see the world, Right. And yeah. um, there's an interesting little sidebar story. I don't know if very yeah. many of your conversations are faith-based, but yeah. um, I was having a conversation. This goes back. Actually, I did a little interview with a priest and he was talking about prayer and the conversation, the way it went. He said, a lot of times people pray for a result, you know, like, oh, help me get this job or help me to, you know, accomplish whatever the goal is. And he says, you know, I always try to pray and my prayer is that allow me to see the circumstance in the way that God does. So it wasn't praying for the result. It was praying for the vision. You know, let me have the perspective that God does, which I thought that's really an interesting, it's a different take, right? It's, you know, yeah. being able to see it. And then what you see, you're going to respond and react to, right? And again, that's where we talked about acting from a service perspective. You know, if that's my mindset, I look for opportunities to serve, right? Or to to express kindness to other people. And then you see them all over. You know, they're always there. And then you can act upon it when you see it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love, and you just made a distinction there between respond and react. And I think that that's a huge place for all of us. And especially as parents to realize like when those tough things come through, that's something that I, um, both from prayer, from a, a yoga practice, from being able to meditate, I've realized that that space, when something difficult comes in, I have the time now and the, the peace to take a deep breath and choose how to respond versus I think when you, you know, kids will bring really tough stuff to your doorstep. Right. And in the moment, like how you react, that first response or reaction is so huge. Um, so yeah. I, yeah. Absolutely. I, Absolutely. And then just to add to that. So when I talk to parents, I, I use the idea that we have these two competing mindsets within all of us. Right. And one of them is fear-based and the other one is love-based. And you know, what I encourage parents to do is to, to be self-awareness, right? Start to recognize if you start to feel any, what I call negative emotions, if I fear fear or frustration or disappointment, if you start to notice that, that's a, just a signal. Oops. That's a signal that you're coming from a fearful mindset. And so if you start to notice that, as you mentioned, the next step is to create a pause. You create a little bit of a pause and, and realize that you do have a choice here. And the question is, how else can I look at this? You know, if I look from a more of a love-based mindset, how does this look differently? And actually in the book, I talk about in a simple approach. I have three questions. So let's say you start to feel frustration. Your child comes home. Maybe they get a bad grade on a test. Some, something happens, like saying it sort of triggers you a little bit. You notice the frustration, create the pause. And then the, the questions I always encourage people to think about is who or what do I need to forgive in this moment? So that's, that allows me to sort of release some of that, right? The second one is what am I grateful for? Or what can I be grateful for in this situation? And then once I'm a little grounded there, then the question is how can I make a difference here? And so just walking through that, if you create that pause and you can have those in your head, it helps you then to shift that mindset and then act in a different way because it creates a different response on the other end. Yeah, that's, I love it when you can break things down. Those are some really great, great steps. Um, makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And actually um, it leads me to think about, um, you know, habits as parents, you know, we, we equip our kids with tools to handle certain situations, but those tools, like sometimes they break down, you know, by the habits that we have every day. Um, have there been things over the years that you feel like have been important for your kids to see that you do with with ritual or habit? Yeah, it, it, it's great. Essentially, you mentioned because, you know, the idea of the fear, fearful mindset can become the default response or it becomes the habit. And, and that's what happens with some families. And the idea is how can we shift and make the love-based response more of the habit? Um, and so, yeah, you know, there's things that we do you know, like you mentioned dinner, you know, that this having that as part of our family ritual, um, it becomes part of who we are. And it, 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 it's not really a habit, but it's it's a tradition. Maybe tradition's another yeah. piece of where we're heading with that. You know, what are the traditions? Um, I'll give you another example that we've had. I mentioned my youngest is in college. So we've had college-age kids for a number of years. And we started a tradition on Easter where when our child would come back for Easter, we would tell them, if there's any of your friends that aren't going home because they live too far away, you've got to invite them 
to come and we call them Easter orphans, right? They're, they yeah. come and they stay at our house and they get an Easter basket on, on Easter morning and they get to participate in the Easter egg, you know? So it's, it's this idea, it's a tradition that we have, but it also conveys this um, value of kindness and the value of inclusiveness and of other people you know, being compassionate and understanding and in and, and seeing other people. Actually, I, I haven't mentioned yet. One of my, I've got two fundamental beliefs that I think are core to what I do. And one of them is that everybody deserves to be seen for who they are and loved unconditionally, right? And to be able to see somebody and, and, and invite them in and include them um, is, is part of that. And, and you teach that or model that through those, you know, traditions like that. So, you know, there's a ton of stuff. Well, and, you know, from a, a husband wife standpoint, yeah. um, my kids, they razz me all the time. My wife does not walk from a parking spot to the door. If we go out to eat, I drop her at the door and I just have always done that. Right. It's yeah. just, and it's, it's just a habit now for me, almost to the point where sometimes there's a spot right there and it's like, come on, dad, just, and, you know, she, she can walk 20 feet, but it's, it's, it's part of that premise of, of the marriage and the relationship. And it's a habit. Like I said, it's almost like I feel bad if I don't, you know, pull yeah. her up and drop her off now, but it, the kids see it, right. They're yes. watching and they, 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 they respect and that, that, that loving respect is it's, it's huge. Right. And, right. and it sets an example and it's something that gets, it's, it's impressed upon them. And right. especially when you see it time and time again, that's what I love about you know, these traditions and rituals and habits, however right. we break them down. But right. yep, yeah, absolutely. Really good stuff. Um, one of the things that I have really realized through my own journey with my kids is the concept that shame can play such a huge role in think when we think we've made a mistake, either as a parent or one of our kids has made a, a mistake. And what are some of the ways that you help families deal with or, or, or you know, shift that, that feeling of shame? Because it's, it, it, it's absolutely stops us in our tracks when we get stuck there. Right. And that's, if you think about, we talked about the idea of not belonging or not being good enough. You know, that's, it's sort of a symptom of that feeling, right? That I, I didn't do a good enough job. And the symptom is the shame, much like frustration could be a, you know, it, it's a sign that you're being fear-based and mm. that you're coming from that fearful perspective. Um, and so that's, it's a matter of, okay, can I shift to be more love-based and, and have some compassion for myself? You know, my, one of my wife's favorite sayings is give yourself grace, right? You need to be able to forgive yourself. Cause you know, I mentioned those three questions. Sometimes the person that needs to be forgiven or what needs to be forgiven is for yourself as well. Right. And if you can, you know, shift from that fearful spot of I'm not good enough or I didn't do it right to one where there's some compassion, there's some forgiveness, and then you can start into that growth mindset. And I always like to, and I tell people this all the time that um, love has amazing healing attributes, right? And there's always hope because love can fix anything. And that's, I just firmly believe that. And so no matter how bad it's gotten or how big of a mistake you made, you can always go back 
and it can be moved forward and you can view it from the perspective of it's just part of my journey and it's part of the growth of myself and my team and my family and it's made us better and stronger and if you view it from that again let love heal it it'll it'll provide that for you so um you know part of the message is to if you start to feel that say oh this is a sign i'm i'm fearful how can i view this from and if i view it from a love-based mindset what's it, how's it look different uh, how can i have some compassion forgiveness gratitude you know those are the attributes of, of being love-based and that'll help it's the bridge and and i will throw this out too i talk about faith Sometimes you have to have faith that love will heal it, even though you may not have ev evidence that it will. And that faith becomes the bridge to hope and to, and to love, you know, between fear and love, because you, you sometimes you just have to lean into it and say, OK, you know, I need to let love penetrate here and see where it takes me. Um, and it's interesting. Sometimes you, it's to a place that you never would have imagined that it would have led you. Right. So but, but you got to let it take you there. Yeah. And not, yeah. Not thinking that we have the plan or that there's one way. That's something I've definitely realized is that there's not one way that things have to go for right. everything to be good or purposeful or even okay. Right. You know, finding that sense of adventure when something's not the way you thought it was going to be. That's right. been, that's huge. So I'll give you a classic example in this beginning is perspective um, my wife and I actually just came back from a, a long overseas trip. We went to Fiji, right? And on yeah. the way back, as you can imagine, we ended up with some hiccups on flights and we were stranded in Chicago, ended up having to spend the night in Chicago. And so, you know, the fearful perspective of that would be a lot of frustration and anger. I mean, literally, we got to the service counter for United Airlines. There were 300 people there that had missed flight. I mean, it was a mess. Yeah. Um, but the alternate is, oh, this is a, um, it's an adventure. You mentioned that's what made me think of it. You know, this is an adventure. Yeah. And um, we got to meet some people that we never would have met before. And interestingly, we went to the, they put us in a hotel. And on the bus ride back from the hotel, this little shuttle van. It was a 10 minute ride. We ended up sitting next to this woman who was from East Africa and she was here visiting her children. We're in school here in the United States. And we talked and by the time we got off the, I mean, we'd known this lady for 10 minutes. Uh, we're giving them hugs goodbye. Right. And yeah. so you don't, we wouldn't have had that had our flight have we not missed our connection? Right. And so, yeah. but you got to open up to that possibility to allow it to come in. And you do that by having more of that loving perspective. You know, that's what allows you to see those, those opportunities. That's so, so true. I love that. Cause if there's two things there, it's that, that curiosity and always having your eyes up to, you know, see what's going right. on with you. And then just knowing, and I, I truly believe this, that human connection heals everything like it just it, it does people really do want to belong and want to feel seen and be seen and when you can connect with that in somebody i mean it just shifts everything with our kids with our friends with our in workplaces it's 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 a game changer actually i'll, I'll share another one of my main points in my book I, I encourage parents to any of their children's bad behavior or unwanted behavior is a call to connect and it's a call for love. Yeah. 
that's what so that's what you get a lot of times they see it as oh i gotta fix a problem or i gotta you know make them act differently or control their behavior it's it's they're calling out it's their way of reaching out saying i need to reconnect here i'm feeling isolated i'm feeling alone and i need to connect oh, and so okay. it's if you have that perspective that's what you see when you see the bad behavior then Wow. Yeah, no, that just gave me the chills. It's it's so true, particularly like when they're young and, you know, sometimes you're so tired when they're little and that you think, oh my gosh, they throw in another fit or whatever it is. But one, you're right. That is, they are looking for you and your connection. And two, being able to give them that attention when they're young will allow you to build that bridge to, so right. you have a relationship when they get older, right. which is, it becomes more and more important. Right. And, the other thing that comes through on that when you say that is oftentimes I think, you know, as parents, we think it's our job to, to guide and it is, you know, we do teach and guide them, but a lot of times it's, it's just sitting back watching and letting them show us who they are and who they want to be. And I don't know if, can you speak to, you know, some of the things that we can do as parents so that we are more in a, you know, reflective role rather than always having right. to be. And, and that's where I would encourage parents to think of their first role and job is to connect. And because a lot of times if you connect and have that safe place, then the child will come up with the solution on what to do next or where, you know, they will sort of guide themselves um, mm -hmm. without you having to step in. And it's a beautiful thing to see your child come up with a solution and to be able to sort of guide themselves. But it's, it's a matter of thinking, okay, my job is to connect first, make them feel safe, because when they feel safe, then they're, then they're freed up to go and try things or to think creatively and come up with a solution at that point. Um, the other thing I encourage parents to think about is when you engage with the child, the question is, what do they need from me right now? You know, do they need my advice? Nine times out of 10, that's not what they need, right? Do they need to connect and feel safe? Do they need me to be compassionate? Do they need me to be curious? Ask, you know, and so the idea of how do I, it's a, we talk about service. It's, yeah. a, you know, how can I serve my child by looking for, okay, what do they need from me right now at this instant? And if we stay focused on that, that'll help the parent to be more appropriate, if you will, in how they respond. Yeah. And so much of that comes back to us being able to be present with them. Right. And right. as parents, often we have so many things on our mind and we're trying to do, I know I'm always have more than one thing I'm trying to do. And, and I've realized at times where if I'm frustrated, a lot of times it doesn't have to do with my child. It has to do with my mind being somewhere else other than on right. what they need. So I, that's yep. a big one for me to just keep coming back to the moment and yep. focus and be present. Them and the other stuff will be there and you can't do it all at once. Yeah. And actually I, in the book, I have nine different strategies for building connection and being present is one of the nine. You just, you know, when, and it's interesting when a teen's ready to talk, you know, it's going to be at the most inopportune time, right? When they finally walk up and say, I'm ready to talk, just know you're going to be in the middle of something, but it's so powerful if the parent drops everything and turns and just focuses, you know, and is completely present with the teen at that moment. It's that, you know, that idea of being seen, right? It's, it's the, allowing the teen to feel like they're being seen at that moment. Yeah, that's huge. 
huge and it, yeah. it, it produces a lot. And I, I read a post the other day about, you know, how adult children connect with their parents and what happens if you haven't established, you know, when they don't need you anymore for, you know, food, shelter and clothing, what are those relationships like, you know, when they don't need you physically anymore? Um, and it is, it's all of this stuff that we build you know, in all the years and the, that safety that we build that will, you know, keep them. And I, I read, I was like, okay, that's really empowering to just, you know, right. keep that connection going. Cause you know, I love having older children. I love them when they were little, but that it, it does just keep getting better. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a different relationship when they get older and then like say we're there now and we have grandchildren too. So that's a different dynamic as well. Um, but it's still, you know, it's equally as rewarding and, you know, they, we, they still come for advice from time to time. But again, it's the same thing. I, you know, it's not unsolicited that, you know, I always tell parents, don't give unsolicited advice. I mean, if the child asks, okay, but you don't just, you know, give it. And um, the relationship is different, but it's um, still, you know, we're very connected to the kids and they, and your kids and your children will always want to be connected to you because you're always going to be mom and dad, right? It doesn't matter. So, um, you know, it's just, it's critical to maintain that relationship. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my favorite question, I ask this to every, every one of my guests that comes on, um, and we've covered a lot here with, as far as the parenting relationship, but that memory of who we were and who we've been because of what we've gone through um, leads me to the question of, what is a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting when you think of that and you, you kind of alluded to what I would say to, we had six children, so there was a lot going on. And I think, you know, when I look back, you, the idea of being present more, you know, that and in, in, in truly appreciating all the little moments that were there. It's easy to get distracted because we got to be here. We got to be there. We got all the, you know, there's lots of stuff to do. Um, you know, the idea of just trying to take it all in and be more aware and present to what's going on. It's kind of like, um, we always tell, you know, we've gotten to the point now where we are around a lot of weddings that are the kids of our peer groups. Right. And, you know, one of the things you tell the bride and groom is just, you know, pay attention and take it in, you know, don't let it, don't you know because sometimes it's just like stuff's going on and you just let it fly by and you don't really enjoy the moment and i guess that's where i'm heading and so the advice to my younger self would be just you know enjoy those moments as much because you know there's a lot of first when you have children right yeah um, it, but at the same time there's a lot of last as well right and wow. so you just got to be able to take those those moments in i mean there's only x number of proms right yeah for a child he may have two um you know that that first solo drive in the car you know the um you know being the lead in the school you know whatever it is there's these moments that happen and just to be present and just fully i mean i feel like i did you know okay with that but it would be something that you know when we started i wish you know that would be good advice to just take as much as of it in as you can yeah, no, that makes total sense to me because it goes so fast. And that is so cliche when you're talking to someone with a three-year-old, but you yeah. know, you think that someday they'll look back and they'll understand what you meant. And 
if, yeah. it's, if we've got time, I'll share a quick story. Real, and I, I kind of mentioned, so our second oldest child was a daughter that was a, a fairly successful soccer player. And I think about her starting when she was four years old. And, you know, we went through and did tons of stuff and she ended up playing collegiately. And the interesting moment was a group of senior parents sitting in the stands after the last game. You know, it they had team had left the field, but it was like, you know, we've had this journey with her and it was done. Yeah. And it's just, it's one of those moments where you just think, yeah, you, you don't really, and you think back and it's like, did we, you, you, you want it to continue, but yet it's time to move on to that next chapter. Um, but the, you know, those moments happen all the time. Yeah. I, that's so powerful. It's giving me chills. My son finished his junior season a couple of weeks ago. I went back to the hotel and I was like, why do I feel a little bit sad? Yeah. Because they had lost in the conference championship. And I was like, Oh, it's because there's only one more season. One more season. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it does. It's, it's, there, there's so many little milestones that you go through and being conscious of where you are and right. given to them and what it's giving to you. Cause then they, you realize your community is based on that too. Like you make friends and the parents are bonded. And it's, right. So yeah. if I may, one more quick story. So um, I don't know if you know the name Jesse Itzler. He's, yeah. Yes. He's, uh, he's uh, married to the Spanx lady. I can't remember what her name is, but fairly yeah. successful guy. I had an opportunity to hear him speak and he made one of these comments that you talk about getting chills. It makes you really stop and think. He, he said, how many of you have parents that don't live in the same city that you live in? And, you know, a lot of people are that way. And it's, well, how many times a year do you go visit them? Well, you see them two or three times a year, right? He said, we, a lot of times we lose perspective, you know, if your parents 70 years old, you know, how long are they going to live? You know, so if they live another 10 years and you see them twice a year, he said, you have 20 more visits with your parents. And, you know, it, it 10 years sounds like a long time, but when you say I got 20 more visits, it's just like, oh, wait, you know, it, it his whole point was to, to cherish each one of those. That was kind of the point he was making in this talk was, you know, how do you cherish each of those moments where you have to put some urgency on it and, yeah. and realize that they're the last one is coming. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that is powerful. That's, and it is, it's hard to be conscious in all of the moments because life's going so fast, but right. that's, very, very powerful. So that's a long-winded answer to your uh, question about what would I advise my younger self. <laughs> no, I, I, I love it. It makes it makes a lot of sense, and the, the it's it's a deep question. And my youngest has told me he's like, "Mom, that question doesn't make any sense." Why <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it'll make sense to you someday? But I when, love when you get when you get old like me, yeah, exactly. then it makes more sense. Exactly, and I love compiling all the answers from my guests because there's just a ton of wisdom from people like you that are, you know, going through life. And really what I love that really came through in your answer was the way that you're, to me, what you're doing is describing how you connect those two journeys, you know, the, the journey number one and journey number two. And I really believe that that's where true happiness and joy are found when you're able to find the alignment between those two. Right. And you what, the, what you do line.
Thank you for joining us on What I Meant to Say, another production of Inspired Edutainment, brought to you by Be Better Media.